You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. A familiar sight for many BC travelers. Front Street in the historic town of Lahaina on the Hawaiian island of Maui. And here's a look at it today. Flames engulfing the tourist destination as people flee in their boats to get away from the flames. But a sign of resilience, it's believed the famous banyan tree that takes up nearly an entire city block suffered damage but somehow is still standing. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the latest breaking details on those deadly wildfires. Hawaii battling the blazes, which are being fanned in part by strong winds. Thousands are on evacuation and at least six people are dead. Our Cassidy Moscone has more on the tragedy and the many tourists, including from B.C., who are trying to get home. Cassidy. I mean, a lot of them will be held up in their cars tonight in temporary evacuation centres or the airport, and many of them without a bed. That is the reality for tourists there tonight and for the residents, many of who have lost their homes and now their town centre. Maui looking more like hell on earth than the tropical Hawaiian paradise species residents know and love. Intense wildfires fanned by strong winds from Hurricane Zora, prompting mass evacuations across the island, hitting the popular resort town of Lahaina the hardest. The worry is that these fires are in some of the most popular places in the Lahaina area and very close to Kihei, which are very dense with accommodation for travellers. So. I am worried about people um, getting to the airport. A lot of people have been contacting our office trying to get out as soon as possible. Port Moody resident Tracy Robinson and her two sons touched down in Maui yesterday afternoon. The flight was a bit windy and bumpy, but they didn't mention anything about flyer, uh, fires or road closures or anything. Uh, we got to a rental car and decided just to drive to start heading to Kanapali. Um, and then as soon as we got on the highway, the roads were blocked. They were turning us around. Fires were both on both sides of the highway. They spent the night driving from shelter to shelter after she says one hotel priced them out at $20,000 for the night. There wasn't any beds or anything. We were just sleeping in our cars, but they had water and access to bathrooms. The family live right across the street from Monday's suspicious Port Moody townhouse blaze and thought their Hawaiian vacation would bring some relief from the smoke. I guess the fires maybe followed us. <laughs> With the holiday town shut down, Maui is struggling to cope. The local hospital is full with burns patients and people suffering smoke inhalation, some now being flown to Honolulu for treatment. The airport and high schools now being used as makeshift shelters for hundreds who've had flights cancelled. Air Canada today told Global News it's evaluating all its options, including operating an evening flight out of Maui on a larger aircraft to accommodate affected passengers pending airport access and other operational considerations. So tragic. All right, Cassidy, what do we know at this point about flights leaving YVR for Maui and what do travellers need to know? 
Well, the advice for all non-essential travellers thinking of heading to Maui is reschedule and follow the advice of authorities. Both Air Canada and WestJet are allowing passengers to change their travel plans free of charge and both of those direct flights here from YVR tonight have been cancelled. Just in from WestJet, the airline is planning a recovery flight for passengers stuck there on Friday. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Cassidy Moscone reporting live at YVR for us tonight. Well, hundreds came together in Penticton this afternoon to honour fallen firefighter Zach Muse. <laughs> Dignitaries, RCMP, firefighters and the public marching to remember the 25-year-old who died on the Donnie Creek wildfire last month when his ATV rolled over a steep drop on a gravel road near Fort St. John. Dozens paid an emotional tribute on stage, sharing their memories of the young man. Another closure on the only highway between Port Alberni, Tofino and Euclid, but this time due to rain. It's the first significant rainfall since maintenance work began after a wildfire destabilized the area back in June. As Kylie Stanton reports, with the rainy season not far off, the clock is ticking on getting the work done. If you think your job is tough, hello, where are you headed to today? Imagine being this guy. You know, Highway 4 is closed for the remainder of the day, should reopen tomorrow morning. The bad news disappointing would be travelers over and over again. Paid a hotel and boat trip. You just gotta make different plans. Yeah, it's yeah. a pity. More than two months after the Cameron Bluffs wildfire broke out, compromising this stretch of highway, the closures keep coming. This latest one, due to rainfall overnight, increasing the risk of falling debris where repairs are underway. This is the the first kind of you know significant rainfall event since the site was closed, and we want to make sure out of an abundance of caution and safety that we follow those protocols. According to the requirements, if 10 millimeters of rain falls over a 12-hour period, the road must be closed for a minimum of 24 hours. Actual rainfall on Tuesday night was 14.6 millimeters. But based on historical data for the area, that's just a sign of what's to come. The month of August usually sees an average of 41.6 millimeters of rainfall, 65.1 millimeters in September, jumping to 194.2 in October, and 309.4 millimeters in November. The province admits it's up against the clock. This is why the ministry has been pushing so hard to get this work done as soon as possible. The road was scheduled to be fully reopened by mid-August, but several days have already already been lost to wind and now this rain event, pushing the timeline back even further. It's definitely frustrating. Travelers are, you know, taken by surprise. These uh, unexpected closures uh, are certainly impacting our our businesses and our economy and our community. We're staying here somewhere. Turning things around will only happen once these travelers stop doing the same. We have to turn back. We're going to Parksville now. Plan B is to try and find another campsite. The fear is by then, peak tourist season will be in the rearview mirror. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, with much of BC dealing with unprecedented drought conditions, the city of Vancouver has handed out nearly $100,000 in fines to people breaking watering restrictions. Enforcement was brisk over the long weekend after stage two restrictions were imposed, banning all lawn watering. 
Kristen Robinson reports. While many Metro Vancouver lawns are brown, there's a patch of green grass at Concord Avenue 1 condos in Olympic Village. Where a sprinkler was watering the lawn at 11 Saturday night, one day after stage two restrictions banned lawn watering across the region. I just think it's um, a good, um, good practice as a citizen to follow the rules. I would think water is way more important than the aesthetic of somebody's green looking grass. Get your priorities together. Do what's right for the community, not for your, your beautiful green lawn. We reached out to Rancho Management Services regarding the lawn watering during Stage 2 restrictions and we're told the Strata agent for Avenue 1 is currently away on holidays. I think it's very important to follow those rules, otherwise you won't have enough, I guess, water, right? The City of Vancouver says property owners can apply for exemption permits during Stage 1 to water new lawns or those being treated with nematodes. Existing permits are in effect until they expire and cannot be renewed. Even with the exemptions, lawn watering is only permitted between 4 and 9 a.m. I think uh, water restrictions are important. Um, we have population growth. There's extra water usage all year round. Since May 1st, the city has issued 344 Stage 1 $250 fines worth 86000 and 526 warning tickets. During the first three days of Stage 2, 14 $500 tickets worth seven grand were issued, plus 13 warnings. So far this season, 358 violation tickets worth 93,000 have been handed out and 539 warnings. Uh, by uh, spending water on watering your lawn or washing your driveway or washing your cars uh, actually puts everyone else at risk uh, because we might be in a situation where uh, even more restrictions are imposed. Metro Vancouver says recent rain wasn't enough to refresh the reservoirs and although levels continue to decrease, they remain within the normal range for this time of year. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Port Coquitlam, the city is offering a reward to those who stick to the Stage 2 watering rules. The Golden Lawns Contest encourages residents to let their lawns go golden brown, then send in a photo of the unwatered lawn by tagging the city on social media for a chance to win one of three $100 gift cards to local businesses or $150 for a block party in their neighborhood. Submissions can be sent in until September 5th. The Vancouver Fire Rescue Service says the first six months of this year have been the worst ever. Four people have already died in fires this year. The fire department says so far there's been a 31% increase in the number of call-outs compared to last year with discarded cigarettes, drug paraphernalia, unattended candles or torches being blamed in more than half of all fires. The department says it's also seeing a disturbing increase in cases of arson. Even more concerning where people are actively setting fires at a very high rate. One in four is caused by someone purposely setting something on fire. And um, unfortunately, I think it's coming back to some uh, mental health issues and into some uh, substance abuse challenges as well of some underlying causes of people um, indiscriminately setting things on fire. The Fire Rescue Service is asking all Vancouver residents to prioritize fire safety in their daily lives and to test the smoke detectors in their home to make sure they're working.
Well, there will be no relief for drivers at the pump as sky-high gas prices continue in Metro Vancouver. One analyst says if you've been postponing that road trip until the fall in hopes that prices will fall, you're out of luck. Janet Brown reports. The price of gas across Metro Vancouver is expected to climb yet again by the fall, a time when prices usually go down. And as oil goes up, the cost of re refining gasoline continues to rise, and that could mean we, uh, you know, another five to ten cent a liter increase, pushing us a lot closer to two fifteen or two twenty a liter. The price of a barrel of oil has increased significantly in recent weeks. Demand is up and supply is tight. Unfortunately, in case of Vancouver. The highest taxes uh, of any jurisdiction in North America also leads to the highest prices of any jurisdiction in North America. I own actually a car dealership, a used car dealership, and so for us, I'm fueling a car right now. Um, it affects us every day. That's hard for a 16-year-old to pay the price of gas. Yeah, it's not the best. I also have a motorcycle as well, uh, which I mainly ride. Can't afford anything anymore, especially this here. So it's, yeah, it's unreasonable. 78 cents of every liter pumped goes to taxes, including two excise taxes, two carbon taxes, and the TransLink tax. And gas is certainly a hot commodity here in Port Moody. In the early morning hours of August the 5th, a police officer on foot patrol spotted a person siphoning off 120 litres of gasoline from the big tank behind me and filling up several jerry cans. A man in his 50s, well known to police, has been arrested. This particular instance was, was fairly unique. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see uh, more of these types of incidents uh, as, you know, gasoline becomes more and more of a, a commodity. And there is a tip for those trying to find a good deal at the pump. Best time to buy, of course, is on the weekends, uh, usually in the evenings. That's when gas stations shed, you know, the eight cent, eight and a half cent retail margins that they have. The higher than normal gas prices could last until November. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, it's a problem that was first identified more than five years ago. Short-term rentals through services like Airbnb or Verbo taking badly needed units out of Vancouver's already stressed rental pool. As Kamal Karamali reports, a new analysis has now found that despite new rules and crackdowns, there are still far more short-term rentals available than, licensed, than are actually licensed with the city. They say it's uh, more than a home. This Vancouver home on sale for just over $5 million. So beautiful. One of the selling points, realtor Leila Yang tells potential buyers it comes with a laneway house and a basement that can be used as short-term rentals. It's always yes, full? always. And right now the booking is running to 2024 already. For the current owner, renting out the two spaces on websites like Airbnb has been extremely profitable. Roughly about 18000 add up together. Per month? Yeah, per month. Part of a surge of short-term rental homes popping up across Vancouver. The number of short-term rentals in August of last year was just shy of 3000 Last month, it crossed the 4,000 mark, climbing to nearly 5,000 listings by the beginning of August. More than 2,000 of those licenses have been flagged for investigations or audits. There aren't any governing enforcement tools that Vancouver or any other city in the province can use to require that these listings be kept compliant and be kept up to date.
According to website Inside Airbnb, Vancouver has roughly double the number of short-term rentals available compared to long-term rentals. Nearly 39% of those short-term rentals are either unlicensed or have expired licenses. One Twitter user creating a list highlighting several short-term rental postings with invalid license numbers, including for rooms at the Fairmont Pacific Rim Hotel, both with expired license numbers. Another reason the short-term rental market is booming in Vancouver is due to a lack of hotels. Over the coming years, we're going to have a shortage of about 10,000 hotel rooms. The solution? I think that involves higher taxes probably on Airbnb. Uh, and again, enforcement of the empty homes and speculation and vacancy taxes. The city now asking for more teeth to enforce the rules. The housing ministry says stronger regulations are on the way this fall. Kamal Karamali, Global News. The far-reaching consequences of B.C.'s gang war. could be anything. Disrespecting somebody in public to you're selling drugs on my street. How so-called street-level subgroups are fueling the violence with innocent victims caught in the crossfire. That's still to come tonight. I'm not a very good swimmer. I barely swim. But that didn't stop him from diving in to save a teen in trouble at White Pine Beach. His heroic rescue later on the news hour. Plus. Looking back at the life of a legend, the force behind the band, Robbie Robertson, has died. More on his passing still to come. First, though, a WestJet 737 is grounded today after its wing clipped a Royal Canadian Air Force plane in Comox. The jet was taxiing for takeoff to Edmonton when its wingtip hit a CC-130 Hercules parked on the tarmac. The force of the impact sheared the winglet off the WestJet plane and caused an ugly gash to the rear of the RCAF plane. Emergency crews were dispatched, but fortunately no one was hurt. Everything was looking great. We were on board. We were taking off, like taxiing to the runway on time and... All of a sudden, the brakes went on, and two flight attendants that were standing beside me nearly fell to the ground, and everybody was like, what's going on? The Transportation Safety Board is investigating. Well, people looking up from White Rock Beach today were treated to a show by the Canadian Forces Snowbirds. first time the snowbirds have been over White Rock since July of 2021. They're currently performing as a scaled-back eight aircraft team. The planes used by the Air Demonstration Squadron are CT-114 Tudors. The flypast was part of a ceremony to unveil a commemorative plaque on the east side of the pier that, re that recognizes White Rock's relationship with the snowbirds, the team based in Moose Jaw. Coming up, productions on pause. People are afraid. The deepening impact in BC as the Hollywood strike hits 100 days. It's busy on Highway 1 in Surrey. That's because crews are on scene to a crash involving a motorcycle eastbound on Highway 1 near 192nd Street. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
It has been 100 days since Hollywood writers walked off the job and less than a month since actors joined them. The job action has crippled big budget productions, including here in B.C., where tens of thousands of people depend on movie and TV production for their livelihoods. As Krista Dow reports, a resolution can't come soon enough. At this time of year, in a normal schedule, we would have on set 100 and 200 people offset probably so 300 people working on the show the burnaby production of the tv show the good doctor at a standstill as hollywood north feels the impact of the writer's strike it's huge we've effectively completely shut down it's a big blow to bc's economy film and tv production generates nearly five billion dollars a year and employs tens of thousands mostly now without work. People all say the same thing. They're hopeful to find a settlement that works for both sides, which is the political way of saying, please finish this quickly. But people are afraid. The writer's strike reaching 100 days and for the first time in 60 years, a dual strike. No contracts! No actors! With Hollywood actors also in a labor dispute. Lighten the hell up, kid. You're a free man now. Including actors like Al Muro, who says casting calls are practically non-existent. He's able to stay afloat through his side gig as an acting teacher. It used to be that we'd audition, I would say, like an average of four times a week at least. Uh, and now, you know, you go like weeks and weeks without any auditions at all. The main sticking points, wages, use of artificial intelligence and residuals related to streaming. In addition to industry impacts, the strike hurting supporting businesses like those in catering, hotels and tourism. If it drags on, um, I will have to look at making, making cuts, but we are streamlining everything right now. The strike lasting longer than many expected, but those in the industry believe Vancouver will remain a destination for Hollywood and film and TV can bounce back. I think as soon as the Writers Guild and SAG settle, there'll be a very fast rush back to production in Vancouver. Until then, expect to see empty film studio parking lots and plenty of reruns. Krista Dow, Global News. On a mission for the holy grail of clean power. In two years, when the nutcracker crashed this thing to 110 kV, 100 million degree, we will have solved the hard problem. The new machine aimed at a scientific break-even. What that means and how it could help our planet next. The and remembering Robbie Robertson and how his music stands the test of time. Traffic is moving well in both directions at the Patello Bridge this evening. Just keep in mind that crews are working in the northbound lanes later on, so expect some minor delays then. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $40 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, the violence of B.C.'s gang conflict has spilled onto public streets dozens of times in recent memory with tragic consequences. Darian Matassafung now with how the conflict has evolved over the decades into what we see today and who is responsible for many of the brazen and often deadly shootings. The crack of gunfire, crime scenes, and car fires.
this has become a common pattern across BC over the past few years. Gang homicides and targeted shootings across the province. BC's anti-gang police say the people pulling the trigger are younger and deadlier than ever. You have to understand that that's a grooming type of behavior. And, and they're looking for young people who are looking for fast, easy cash, or so they think. Small subgroups of around seven people in their early 20s to as young as 10 years old, running dial-a-dope operations, flooding our streets with drugs and brutality. Dial-a-dope operations mostly tied to major organized crime. At the top of the pyramid, you have the long-established higher level groups that are brokering the importation of cocaine or fentanyl at an international level and they're essentially the puppet masters and as you go down that pyramid you become it becomes more and more street level and more and more exposed and the, the goal of course of the groups at the top are to insulate themselves and not take any of the collateral damage and, and not get involved in fighting. According to police, at the highest levels of gang activity, it still remains as the Hells Angels, as well as cartels and Asian organized crime groups. What was once a head-to-head -head conflict between the Bacon Brothers Red Scorpions and the United Nations has now become a four-headed war between the United Nations, Red Scorpions, Wolfpack Alliance, and the Brothers Keepers. Changes in power, shifting allegiances, all paid for in blood. You can imagine when that happens internally, when people take intelligence and information, or even products with them, uh, things are going to happen. The top gangs can have more than a dozen subgroups working underneath them, and recruitment starts early. And I've even had teachers call me uh, about a, a kid as young as 10 years old selling cocaine at an elementary school, which to me is shocking, but I'm not surprised anymore. Long gone are the days of gangsters such as Bindi Johal, who made threats through the media when the public at least knew violence was brewing. Now, gangs flex and beef through private accounts on social media. The public only aware of the danger after bullets leave the chamber. A life of guns, drugs, and violence used to be Stanley Price's chosen trade, trafficking here in the downtown east side for more than 15 years with the Red Alert gang. He says subgroup violence is a powder keg just waiting for a spark. Gang members are hot-tempered, myself being one of them, right? I used to be one of them. It could be anything. Disrespecting somebody in public to you're selling drugs on my street. It could be over a, a female. These latest recruits no longer follow any code. There are no limits to their unlawful actions. The players at the top couldn't care less about the heat this causes as the bloodshed and mayhem burns well beneath them. They see these older guys making good money, they're dressed nice, driving nice vehicles, you know, gold chains and nice watch. Holy there's gunshots! A complete disregard for human life in a fiery hot temper, a deadly combination with their finger on a trigger. They are getting smuggled up this way and it's a lot easier from the States to get them up to Canada. Ex-gangster and drug dealer Shane Knox says weapons bought at U.S. grocery stores for hundreds sold for 10 times that once smuggled across the border. 
It's pretty easy just to go into a convenience store and buy a firearm and send it back up to Canada and sell it. The result, a bullet-fueled bloodbath. A 28-year-old man gunned down outside of a Vancouver wedding in late May. Or an innocent bystander caught in the crossfire, 15-year-old Alfred Wong shot and killed in 2018. No code, no limits, endless violence. Darian Matasafong, Global News. And just like any industry, new technology is being used to move, sell, and exchange drugs and money. Tomorrow, in part three of our series, the world of cryptocurrency, e-wallets, and the dark web. You can also check out enhanced coverage online at globalnews.ca slash bc. A BC-based company is joining the global race to make nuclear fusion a viable source of carbon-free electricity. General Fusion has received funding to create a machine in Richmond to put its solution to the test. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, it will still take time before it makes a dent in Canada's electrical grid. It looks like something out of a science fiction or James Bond movie. This plasma injector is the heart of the work being done at General Fusion. The heat will be extracted from the metal and used to make steam. The company announcing it will be focusing on proving its concept here at home. This fusion thing is not for the faint of heart. It's the same condition as inside the sun. On Wednesday, the company announced it would be stepping away from a project in the UK and instead build a scaled-down version of the plasma injector technology at its Richmond warehouse. $33 million in funding was announced, including $5 million from the provincial government. The injector will be about 50% of the size of the ultimate commercial scale and will run without the key fuel to achieve fusion, tritium. The goal is to show that plasma can be rapidly compressed and heated to 100 million degrees Celsius by 2025. Theoretically, you know it works. Practically, you need to prove that it works. Yes, it always works in theory, you know, like that's easy. But when you actually do something in real life, there's always some sort of bad stuff that happened to mess you up. That the future is indeed electric. On Tuesday, the federal government started a new discussion around making Canada's electrical grid carbon neutral by 2035. A goal that will be all but impossible to achieve without significant technological shifts like fusion. While General Fusion says it's on track for generation in the 2030s, the company's founder says to be at the needed scale by 2035 is too aggressive a timeline. In 2030, we're going to have one or two machines running. It's not going to. It's not going to make BC carbon neutral. So, <laughs> one of the biggest challenges for nuclear fusion is what's known as the scientific break-even point. And one of those days, we'll have to have a big grid with the power coming out. Where harnessed energy output is greater than the energy input. If this first stage of the project is successful, General Fusion believes the next milestone can be reached by 2026. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Ottawa is shelling out more than $4 million to support four programs aimed at improving sexual and reproductive health for Indigenous and immigrant communities. The federal health minister announced that funding today. A program led by the Provincial Health Services Authority is getting $1.8 million to expand education programs for Indigenous women, girls and two SLGBTQIA plus people. Other funding will be used to reduce barriers to care for Indigenous and marginalized communities across Canada. Still to come, a daring rescue at White Pine Beach. 
The girl was hugging me so tight. She was super scared. How this quick-thinking barber helped save a teen girl's life. And later, welcome to the Whitecaps. High hopes for Vancouver's two newest players. Returning to our top story and more breaking news on the deadly wildfires ravaging parts of the Hawaiian island of Maui and forcing mass evacuations. Take a look at this video. This is Lahaina after flames engulf the town. Blocks of historic Front Street destroyed. The scene almost apocalyptic, but as we mentioned earlier, that famous banyan tree that's more than 100 years old is damaged but somehow still standing. Six people are confirmed dead across the island. Officials believe that number could grow as crews continue to battle the flames. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather forecast. And uh, we had a bit of a reprieve with some rain, Christy, but more heat on the way here. Yeah, so it's not a very short-lived rain, but it was welcome rain, that's for sure. Here's a look at the areas that were impacted, the majority of it across the south coast. West Vancouver received 23 millimeters of rain. You can see the Caribou Central Interior, 7 to 8 millimeters. Thompson Region, 3 to 5. Very little, though, in the Okanagan Valley and the southeastern corner of the province, although parts of the West Kootenai Region saw up to 13 millimeters of rain. Now, in behind the main part of the system, which really brought rainfall to our region last night, we saw spotty conditions today. So rain on and off uh, at times heavy, but it came with lightning strikes. So the concern going forward is the potential for those holdover fires. Those are caused by uh, thunderstorms or lightning strikes uh, when there's rainfall and they remain dormant until sunshine and heat move in. And as you just talked about, we are expecting that sunshine and heat. So tomorrow we will see cloud cover in the morning. Slight chance of showers across Metro Vancouver, but trending towards sunshine. Central interior regions, you have a bit of rainfall still in the forecast for Friday. Friday, but overall, this ridge of high pressure is going to build and we're going to see that sunshine and warmth strengthen through the weekend. So uh, areas in the interior here by Saturday and Sunday, or sorry, by Sunday at least, you should see mid-30 degree weather. And for our areas away from the water, we're talking about 31. So it's that kind of heat that will allow those holdover fires to sort of uh, come alive once again. And it looks like that ridge of high pressure is going to hold strong for at least the next several days, potentially towards the end of next week. Tonight, Central Windows weather window coming to you from Campbell River on a foggy day. Beautiful shot, Kathy. Thank you for sharing that with us. And you can see a ferry off in the background there. So back to you. All right. Thanks, Christy. A BC man is being called a hero tonight for leaping into action to save the life of a teen in trouble in Sassamat Lake. As Catherine Urquhart reports, he ended up saving the girl's father as well. Fadine Jabo is an expert barber and quite comfortable saving someone from a bad hair day. But last weekend, the 30-year-old found himself at the center of a very different rescue, one that saved the lives of a 13-year-old girl and her father. The look I saw in their eyes was crazy. I can now forget it. They were terrified. Uh, yeah, they were super scared. It was just after 8 Sunday night at Port Moody's White Pine Beach. Jabo heard screaming, saw a girl going under, and her dad running into Sassamat Lake. Our dad doesn't even swim. They were both drowning in front of me. Jabo says he's not a great swimmer either, but didn't think twice, going first for the girl. I took the girl out, and then halfway, someone came, took the girl, and then went back for the dad. Help arrived soon after. 
Two weeks ago, a 14-year-old boy was pulled from Sassamat Lake in critical condition. Each incident is a reminder of just how dangerous the water can be and a reminder for folks just to use ex, um, extra caution when they're out in the waterways. Thanks to Jabo and others, the girl and her father have made a full recovery. After the feeling was super good that I tried to help them, and I did. This modest man, a barber, and a true hero. Thanks for coming, bro. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well done. All right, Squire Barnes is here now with a look ahead to sports, Squire. Well, the uh, Vancouver Whitecaps have brought in two Canadian internationals to help them with the stretch run towards the MLS playoffs. Sam Atacube and Richie Larea. And we'll hear from both of them. And they're both happy to be here, incidentally, tonight. Well, that's very nice of them. I know. Isn't that great? Them. Also ahead tonight. The life and death of Robbie Robertson and the extraordinary music he left behind. Bent how? Well, my tie doesn't seem straight to me. It, seems. it is fine. Okay, I just didn't want to look fine. a little disheveled for the you hair folks. We like to look good. We like to look, look good, good here. You look good. We like to look presentable, as they say. My mother always said, look presentable and always have clean underwear. But we all know that. Uh, yes. Instead of uh, bringing in more European or South American players, the Vancouver Whitecaps use the summer transfer window to add a couple of Canadians in time for the stretch run of the regular season. Richie Larea and Sam Atacube. They're in Vancouver. They are training now with the Whitecaps. Between them, they have 86 international games for Canada, including both being part of our World Cup team last year. Uh, we didn't look for just adding players to add players. We wanted to add players that were willing to come here and also uh, able to have a positive impact immediately. And, uh, you know, we signed uh, two players that are all regulars in the national team and uh, uh, players that are, they have the quality uh, to that fit perfectly the, the thing that we are doing here. Their best of friends off the pitch and on it, Sam Atacubi and Richie Larea will try to help elevate the Whitecaps to the next level when it comes to MLS success. The wingbacks arguably two of the most important signings in franchise history. And when it came to both of them agreeing to transfer to the the decision was instantaneous. He told me it was coming, so I came. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally like that, you know. Like uh, we speak to each other quite a lot. We're really close as well on the national team. You know, it's like one of my closest friends on the national team. And um, I just think when we found out each other was co was coming, like uh, it was so late in the window that I just called Richie. Richie was calling me. He's like, "Are you going?" I said, "Yeah, I'm going." Are you going? He said, "Yeah." And then <laughs> he says, "Here we are." You know, to add Sam, to add myself into this group with a lot of quality. I'm. I think uh, very positive things can happen. So I think the bar for this group is set high. Uh, for myself, I set it high, and it's to win. So there's no doubt in my mind this team can go on and make a run in the playoffs and go to that MLS Cup. That's what my vision is for the club. Larea and Atakubi are both fixtures on Canada's national team and will immediately slot into the Whitecaps starting 11 and make an instant impact, perhaps as soon as August 20th when the Caps host San Jose. Exciting times for Atacube, Larea, the Caps organization, and their loyal supporters who'd love to see more of this. They have the quality uh, to, 
that fit perfectly the, the thing that we are doing here. So we are a very dynamic team. We are a team that uh, thrives in counterattacks. We are a team that uh, wants to press and be on the face on the, on the opposition. It pushes the other players that are already here to give more. It's, uh, it's going to help us for sure. The BC Lions next game will be this Saturday, 4 o'clock at home against Calgary. It looks like Vernon Adams should be able to return and be the Lions starting quarterback despite wearing a knee brace on his left leg. You can see it right there underneath his sock. He's never had to wear one before in his career, but he feels pretty comfortable with it on and says he should be ready to go this week. I wanted to be back, you know, for this game and... Um you know, and especially what's happened, you know, in the last game. So it's like, I, I just, I want to get back out there and I, I feel confident enough, you know, right now. So uh, I'm just going to keep working through practice. And uh, like I said, we're going to see in the game. Layla Fernandez, home in Montreal against number 11, Beatrice Haddad Maya. Second round action, National Bank. And the crowd got what it wanted. A Fernandez win. Took three sets. But she overcame Haddad Maya. This is action from the first set, which Fernandez won. Should mention Milos Ronic also won his second round match today, so he's doing great so far. Gabriel Diallo, the young Canadian who everybody thinks will be a star very soon, was knocked out of the men's side of the tournament. There you go. All right, stay right there. Okay. And you stay right there. Yeah, don't, don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about Robbie Robertson next. A great man. Jordan Armstrong is here with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Sophie, lots happening. We have new material from Maui tonight. Hawaii's governor has declared a state of emergency. At least six people are confirmed dead at this point following the wildfires. We've also just finished speaking to another British Columbian in Maui who's trying to get out. We'll have that interview tonight. We are also getting reports of a fire, a rather significant one, in Surrey near 192A Street and 73A Avenue. Apparently a number of homes are involved. We have a camera en route to that and we'll have details on BC1 at 8 and of course at 11. Sophie. Busy night for you. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. All right, sad news today in yes. the music world. Yes. Um, Robbie Robertson. A giant in the music industry, a Canadian, um, mm -hmm. was part, one of the main parts, of one of the, I would say, one of the most influential bands of all time. In fact, the band. That's all it was called. Mm -hmm. And here is our story on the life of Robbie Robertson. The impact that Canada's Robbie Robertson had on music could be its own university course. Starting in the late 1950s, working with another legend in Ronnie Hawkins, Robertson showed songwriting skills at a young age that reached their heights with the seminal group simply called The Band, a group that was four-fifths Canadian. I've said before this wasn't a group that had a cute singer with a shirt off and a guitar player and some other guys playing behind them. This was a group that everybody did something so extraordinary that we were all impressed with one another. Consequently, calling a group the band was really a humble thing of saying, we're all in this together and we're all doing this. What was incredible during his time with the band was how a Canadian like Robertson was able to craft songs that tapped directly into the heart of America. 
better than most Americans have ever done. Before striking out on their own, Robertson and members of the band backed up Bob Dylan on the tour where he shocked his folk music audience by plugging in and using amplifiers, which made a lot of audience members angry. Well, it taught me to duck because people were booing and throwing stuff at us on that tour where we played around the world. Robertson was born in Toronto. His mother, Rosemary, was Mohawk. And Robbie spent a lot of time growing up on the Six Nations Reserve in Ontario. It's there where he discovered his love for music. For me, it was a place where music was everywhere. And it seemed like everybody was celebrating life constantly. And while his time on earth ended at 80 years, Robbie Robertson's music will live forever. Aren't we lucky for that? Yes. Um, if you have never listened to music by the band, mm -hmm. just go online and hear a few songs because it actually is incredible. I'm listening to a really cool version of um, The Wait by musicians all over the world. Yes, they did that a couple of years ago. It, it included Ringo Starr on drums, yeah. Robbie Robertson himself, and musicians playing all sorts of different instruments just to show you how far and wide that song has gone. Very cool. All right, mm -hmm. uh, final word on the weather, Christy. Still a chance of showers tomorrow morning, especially out through the Fraser Valley, but trending towards sunshine by the afternoon. And don't forget, heat is on the way this weekend, everyone. 31 potentially away from the water. All right, that's it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night.